What's up, everyone? It's Andrea. Today, it's the Enterprise Malibu Surf Beach Party. We are not here for spots training, and we ask the question, where is our solution? Come nerd out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Cherise, today we're talking Season 7, Episode 9, Force of Nature. This episode was written by Naren Shankar and directed by Robert Lederman. A pair of sibling scientists show that warp drive propulsion is harming the very fabric of space. And then there's like a subplot that involves Data attempting to train his pet cat spot, <laughs> which is less interesting to me. What are your initial <laughs> thoughts on all this? <laughs> so my initial thoughts that I wrote in my notes were after reading the one sentence summary that Paramount Plus gives you, yeah. I was like, I think this is the one where there's that like brother-sister duo and they turned out to be terrorists and then they come to some sticky end. Um but I don't really remember. So I was like, yay, bonus episode. Turns out it's not that episode. The episode <laughs> I was thinking of is an episode of Voyager. So I had absolutely no recollection of this episode from start yeah, to finish. I was finish. like, terrorists? Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this was a totally different episode. This is a Voyager okay, episode. It. And it was a really good episode. That's so why I was like, oh, that was that episode where it's like, you think they're good guys, but they're bad guys. And you think they're trying to like free their friends, but really they're like rebels. This was none of that. This was none of those things I was thinking. Um so yeah, so my my initial thoughts were just like, oh, bonus episode. Like this is going to be a brand Yay. new one for me, and it absolutely, it absolutely was. What about? Oh, for that's you? fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen this episode in many years because you know season seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just remember that this is the one where those like sibling scientists are trying to tell us that like constant warp travel is like destroying the fabric of space, and like it has to, we have to like stop. Um, And I just really love this angle to address like global climate change. You know, this is very Mm -hmm. much like metaphorical for global warming, which is what we called it in the nineties, you know, where it's like, Mm -hmm. look, we are really destroying this. And yes, it's, it's a constant problem. And yes, there are a lot of changes that need to take place to slow or reverse this. And nobody's willing to make those changes because they're uncomfortable changes, but what other option kind of do we have? So mm-hmm. I do remember like this being like that sort of global climate change thing, which I, which I really loved. Um, all right, let's just open this up. Data walks into his quarters and finds an angry spot and Jordy who's trying to get spot out from under the bed. So spot has like broken a vase, a teapot, ruined one of Jordy's chairs, is coughing mm-hmm. up hairballs all over the place. And it, we learned that Jordy wanted to borrow spot to see if he indeed wants a cat. But turns out it's a it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. a Yeah. So a couple things about this scene. One, did you notice that Jordy's bed is like a 19th century bed? <laughs> it's like a regular earth bed. You gotta look at it again. It's oh my not God, that I didn't. It's not that IKEA like plinth with a shiny sheet on it. It's like a legit bed with a big comforter. And the only thing spacey about it is that the comforter has a galaxy print. Which is oh, so really? fun. Yeah. But okay. I, mean, I don't like know how I missed any of pillows. that. Like, it just looks so comfy. How, how did I miss all of that? And and the bed is now in a room and not just like in the living room, which is where it yeah. used to be in Jordy's quarters. Like you walk in, boom, there's the bed. Um, so I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's convenient. Right. Redecorating. Okay. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we find, here's an interesting thing about this whole spot conversation. The, the one point that I think is really important is that in this episode, this is the first time that they refer to Spot as she. 
Spot mm-hmm. has been a boy cat this entire series up until this episode. And that's important because from this episode moving forward, Scott, uh, Scott, Spot, Spot continues to be female. And that's important because later on she like gets pregnant and whatever. So that's right. I remember the episode where she was pregnant and I remember them always calling Spot a he. And I, and I remember being like, when did this switch? Like how did Data possibly not know the gender mm-hmm. of his own pet? Data of mm-hmm. all people. Like how right? did he not know? And in watching this episode, I was like, oh, this is when the switch happens. And because I didn't remember this episode at all, that makes a lot of sense that I missed it. Um, they just decided we want the cat to be female now. <laughs> so they made the switch. So that's really like the most important piece of this whole yeah. B plot is that Spot is now a female cat. The end. I'm so glad that you caught that because I did not. I was like, Spot who? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that Jordy suggests that Data maybe try training Spot as Spot is like out of control. And now that I think about it, it does make sense that they had to change Jordy's bed because if it was just like a platform with a yeah, sheet over the it, cat couldn't there be would have it. been, exactly, there's no place to go under. So you need a bed bed where like the cat can run under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Data is like, I never thought that my cat was out of control. Um, it just does whatever it wants. And I just respected space. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's cool and all. But uh, what is interesting is that Spot would like meow for something and then Data would interpret that and be like, okay, feline supplement number 122. And then he would like meow for something else and Data would like get out the yarn and play with it. And I was like, well, the cat has you trained pretty mm-hmm. well, Data. Yeah, but that's not what, so much that's the other what, way around. That's what Jordy says to him later on. And I think it makes sense because Data, this is Data though. Data is always mm-hmm. trying to figure out people, animals, plants, whatever, to try to like communicate more effectively with them and like function alongside them. So it makes perfect sense to me that he can interpret Spot's moods correctly. And also Data is a legitimate cat person. Like there's a couple episodes ago where Worf is watching, has to watch the cat because Data's like losing his mind and um, doesn't want to hurt the cat. Mm -hmm. And when he's giving Worf instructions, he's like, you must pet him and tell him he's a pretty cat. Right. He's a lovely cat. So it's like, (laughs) this is more than just, I I feed it. You know, I take care of it. I water it, whatever. This is like, he likes to pet the cat and cuddle with the cat and talk to the cat and all the things. He's very much a cat person. And I don't think anyone else other than Barclay (laughs) is on this ship. So it's a good thing that Jordy did this little testeroo because cats are definitely not for him. And then all the advice he gives him throughout the episode of like, yeah, just train him. Just do this. Just do that. It's like, that does not, that's not a thing. That doesn't, that you don't work. That's not how it works for cats. You can't do that. That's not a thing. (laughs) Cats are fine. I'm a dog person, but you can't train a cat the way you can train a dog. They're just very different. You can train a cat, but you cannot train them the way you train a dog. Absolutely. Yes. Not like not even close to it. They don't, they're not going to respond to verbal commands. They're not going to come and look out of your hand when you want, like, unless you're holding something they have, they want at the exact moment. They're not coming to you. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely not. So while this is happening, the enterprise is investigating the disappearance of the medical vessel Fleming and its last contact with Starfleet was less than a week ago. Um, And they find that the corridor of space where the Fleming was last seen has an especially high Tetrion field, which creates this like unstable corridor. And so the Enterprise is right by this Hakaran planet and they double check and the government has had no contact with the Fleming. And they're like, okay, well, the only ship that has passed through in the last week or so was a Ferengi vessel. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's maybe not that much help. So they have a little staff meeting. 
And Beverly points out, and this is the perfect spot for her to say this, that the Fleming is carrying a rare biomimetic gel, which can be very valuable. So it's possible maybe like the Ferengi captured them. And I was like, hold up. I want to know more about this biomimetic gel. This sounds so cool. It reminds me sort of of the Aquiel thing where like- It was exactly Aquiel. That's what that was. And I was like, why'd y'all get some more of this stuff? What is going on? This is, I think <laughs> I we didn't like this. Cool. Well, I mean, think about it. Luke Skywalker wouldn't have to have a mechanical hand if they just had some biomimetic gel to like true. be a hand or a leg or a heart or a mm-hmm. third um, eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, no, this did, this did remind me of Aquiel and I was like, no, not Aquiel, not again. But oh yeah. See? Biomimetic gel is very, very cool because that was an organism that wasn't like you couldn't control it. It it just swallowed you up and ate you and then turned into you. This is yeah. different. This is very cool. A couple things about this scene. One, uh, the Fleming, I actually caught this one. I was like, oh, that's named after Alexander Fleming, who was the scientist who discovered penicillin in 1928. And I know I that did not because know I'm a it. microbiologist. I was like, oh. hey, I recognize that name because you're always the one on the ship names. Like this was a physicist yeah. from whatever, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, no way. Never heard that name. This one uh, immediately. I was like, Fleming. I know that guy. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that you picked that up. Mini dive was, me. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> but you know where you had to dive into your own mind. You you yeah. already knew it. <laughs> well, I didn't you know 1928. So I did Google that because I was like, okay. hey, I was like, he discovered penicillin. I remember the story of how he did it, but I was shaky on some of the details. Mm. Anywho, so that's one thing. Second thing is um, <laughs> when they're like, oh, maybe the Fer- Ferengi captured it. I was just like, okay, every time you guys hear Ferengi, it doesn't mean they stole something. Like, how are they going to just capture a whole freaking starship and think yeah. they're just going to get away with it? That's yeah. some nonsense. That is some nonsense. Now, <laughs> if if the ship was like unattended, I mm-hmm. can see Ferengi coming being like, well, hey, you know, rules of acquisition. for." Co- you know, finders, keepers or whatever their rules are. Yeah, totally. But just to be like, oh, there was a Ferengi around here at some point. They probably like stole, like hijacked the vessel or something. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But in any case, that's the only thing they have to go on. So let's see where it goes from here. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Jordy is working with the engineering. Now, Jordy's working with the engineering team to increase the enterprise's power conversion rates. And I was like, oh, is he doing this to try to find the Fleming faster or something? No. It turns out Jordy's old buddy is chief engineer of the Intrepid, which seems to be like passing nearby or something. Mm -hmm. And Jordy wants to make this extra effort to make sure his engines are like pristine because it's like listen i've got a reputation i'm the chief engineer of the flagship Mm -hmm. my power conversion rates my engines need to be like just a cut above everyone else Mm -hmm. so i love that jordy and data kind of talk together and you know data is like i don't understand really why you're doing this you know and so yeah he's like what does this have to do with anything he's like nothing Nothing at all. It's just, it's a game of one-upsmanship I have with an old, like, rival buddy of mine, a Mm -hmm. a friendly rival. And, like, he said that he he very casually dropped that his power conversion rates on the Intrepid are 97.1. So I've been working for 48 hours straight (laughs) to bump them up. (laughs) And he does a little test. 97.2. Well, I'm trying to just beat him, like, by the smidgenest. By this much, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. And as they're talking, um, you know, Data tells Jordy he's been training Spot. And of course, Data being Data, he's done all the research and trying out sensor nets and biofeedback motivators. And Jordy says exactly what I would say. Um, 
how about the phaser stun setting on to work? <laughs> I was like, damn, Jordy, you are so cold. But I and, and Data is I would so say. shocked. Data is like, I would never stun my cat. And Jordy's like, it was a joke. Yeah, it was, a, it was sort of a joke. Like I would stun your cat, but yeah, I know you wouldn't stun your cat. I right? would never, for the record, I would never stun a cat or a dog or any animal, but I sure would think about it <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> I'm and not going to say I would never bad. stun an animal. I would absolutely stun an animal under the right circumstances. I mean, um, listen, if I'm camping and a bear is charging me, then like, okay, yeah, but like just a pet, maybe not so much. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, maybe not a pet. <laughs> Maybe not so much a pet. Anyway, so Riker says that they're picking up a ship ahead on long-range sensors. It's the Ferengi transport ship that the Hakaran government said that they had seen a while back. And the warp and impulse systems are down. So it's like, you guys look like you're adrift. So the Enterprise kind of gets in closer to get into communications range to try to figure out what's going on. And as they get closer, the Ferengi fire phasers on them. It's like, wait, what? Wait, I thought all your, everything was down. Mm-hmm. And the Enterprise returns fire and takes down their weapon systems with like one phaser blast at like 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, And so now- Turns out most sudden, of their systems were really down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one shot was like, pew. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of all they had. By, right? by life support. All on yeah. that one shot. That was silly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys should have tried a different technique. Like, try try calming over. Just hail them. Ah. Well, they couldn't. All their communications were down. So Jordy mm. had rigged something. There was a lot of techno babble in this episode, but he rigged something to, like, bounce through the deflector dish, through the shield, through whatever, to get, like, a signal over to them. Basically, he's using, like, a walkie-talkie or ham radio to communicate with them because they don't have those systems. And so he's like, well, we could like, you know, do this to this, to this, to this and bounce it around. And then we could like maybe cut through and get a hail going on. Um, But the Ferengi were, you know, just, just doing whatever they could to protect themselves, I guess, with the silliest last stand ever. Mm -hmm. And so the hail goes through and Picard is like, explain yourself. Like you, all your systems were down and then you fired on us. What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. And the daemon is like, you attacked us. You disabled our ship. And now you're moving in for the kill. Well, what? Well, I mean, they, they can absolutely do that. Like, this is the flagship. Just take us. Just take us. <laughs> you know, they're not going to kill you. You know, they're not going to. They're going to drop stuff. you off at Starbase, whatever. That's exactly what they're, they're going to tow you out of this freaking corridor and do whatever. So it's like, just take us, whatever. But that's not their approach. Their approach is like, oh, yeah, you can't have us, human. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to tell Starfleet about this. We're going to lodge complaints and all of this stuff. And Picard's like, look, how about you come over here and we can talk about this and figure out what happened to you and kind of like, you know, just solve this situation because it sounds like some misunderstandings. The daemon wasn't having it. So then Picard was like, okay, fine. We'll just like, we'll just leave you here and we'll send a message to your government that you're stuck here. And hopefully some, one of them will come and get you at some point. In a couple of weeks. So I'll send the, yeah, I'll send the daemon's like, actually we could discuss it. You know, I love Picard for a million reasons. But one of the things I love so much about Picard is the way that he handles himself in situations like this. And he's nothing if not consistent. Mm -hmm. He is the first to put a hand out in friendship um, and say, look, let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. There must be some sort of miscommunication. He always has the best intentions. And then when somebody continues to be an asshole, he's like, alrighty then. Well, we're just going to go ahead and leave you. Uh, Best of luck. By the way, um, those moon jellies are back and they're hungry Mm -hmm. for ships. So, um, good luck. 
later, mm-hmm. beep, beep. And they're all, <laughs> every single time the adversary is like, wait, 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 come back. Maybe we can talk about this. Like, oh, now, oh, now you want to talk. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd be delighted. Picard does this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Picard gives some really good subtle threats. Mm-hmm. He really does. He did that a f- few episodes back, like with the Klingons as well. Like he's mm-hmm. really not one to back down from a fight and he will stand by his word. Like if he says he's going to transport you over for an intergalactic chit chat about the problem, then he's going to do that. There's no trickery at hand. And if he says he's going to leave your ass, he's leaving your ass behind. And that's Mm -hmm. the end of that. I'm like, thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Picard. So finally the Ferengi daemon is more open to discussions. And then I, Girl, did you notice this next shot of Riker <laughs> towering over the sky? Yeah. Six foot four self over this like little ass Ferengi. And I was like, oh, I love it. Yeah. And, and, and Riker was like three inches away. They were like chest. And I don't even chest. think it was Riker. Terrible. I think it was the Daemon who was trying to get in Riker's face from how he was like mm-hmm. yelling at him. And you're like, oh, sweetie, yeah. <laughs> you can't even see Aww. his face to yell in his face. Mm-hmm. You got to back up a few. Feet. Yeah. You're yelling at his sternum, <laughs> yes. to be honest. Yeah. You're yelling at his belly button. Yeah. I did notice that <laughs> shot. There were a bunch of really interesting shots in this episode. I don't think they were beautiful. I don't think they were well thought out, but they were different. This is mm-hmm. one of them, this like chest to chest yeah. picture. There was also one earlier when Jordy was in engineering, he was readjusting the dilithium crystals like by hand. And mm-hmm. the angle of the camera made it look like you don't know where they're at. Like it looked like some mm. weird lab. And they had to turn the camera to be like, oh, shoot, they're in engineering. Yeah. Um, and then later on in the ready room, or actually, no, I think later on in this scene, there's a shot over Picard's right shoulder. So the angle is really weird. And again, it looks like, what room is this? Where are we? And then you're like, yeah. oh, wait, it's the ready room. So there's a lot of really interesting shots and angles in this episode in particular. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they really um, do the story any justice. Like they don't, they don't make it better, but they are different. So, you know, A for effort. That's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have to go back and rewatch a couple of these shots because normally I, I like to think that I like notice them pretty quickly where I'm like, Ooh, that's different. Ooh, that's different. But this one, I don't think I did as much. So I kind of want to go back and like, see this again. Just for that, especially for Jordy's Downton Abbey bed. Cause like, I really want to see that. <laughs> oh my God. I totally want to see that. Now this, um, you know, the daemon says that they've detected a Federation buoy. And then when they approached it, a Verderon pulse disabled their communications and engine systems. And they assumed that they were victims of some kind of new Federation weapon. So Picard and Riker tell Damon that the Federation, you know, that like the Fleming passed through the corridor a few days ago, but hasn't been heard of since. And Damon says that they passed a medical ship a few days ago. And Riker's like, well, can you give us an idea of its heading? And this is the most Ferengi fucking thing ever. He's like, it's possible that information was recorded in our sensor logs, but we couldn't possibly retrieve it because we're just bogged down with so many repairs. So I wish we could help. And Picard is like, well, perhaps if we lend a hand, would that free up some time? To like search through your records to give us that information. And Damon's like, I believe it would. So it's like a great little way to be like, I could help you. Mm-hmm. But gosh, I just have so many repairs that need to get done. Right. It was really a great Ferengi way because the Ferengi are not going to just ask for help. No. But they're going to manipulate you into helping them. So that, yep, that sure will. That track. <laughs> and they're not going to threaten you. To, they're, they're just going to like, they're going to, they're going to, they're, manip- they're negotiators. So they're going to find a way to make you offer and they're just graciously accepting your help <laughs> which was great yeah no totally now next scene girl we're back to spot and data's going spot down down 
down. <laughs> this right here is why I don't do cats, okay? Brent Spiner has said that he hated shooting scenes with that cat because the cat would, like, scratch and it would not participate very well. And mm-hmm. so filming just took <laughs> so much longer than it needed to. And he was like, couldn't Data get, like, a dog or something? <laughs> like a little bit more trainable mm-hmm. um by the way did you notice the objects on data's shelves he has his feathered hat and fencing foil from when he was one of the three musketeers <laughs> and barclay's holodeck program which, which the nerd how did he was even like, get that <laughs> exactly i was like sorry you can't take things off the holodeck they would just disappear they would disappear and also you weren't even that was like a holographic data yeah, that was a holographic true. outfit. Like, that wasn't like Data didn't walk into the program wearing that. That wasn't sure even him at all. He sure didn't. But his his like velvet cap and feather and foil was there. You think which it's maybe great. maybe a memory of what Q did. Maybe it's maybe it's a hat from that. Was he wearing a cool hat? No, no, he was the friar. No, he was the friar. Oh, yeah, gosh. I thought that too, girl. I was like, but even still, like, is Q gonna snap your outfit back to whatever? He also Might. had a violin and he had a ball of yarn for a spot. And I just thought it was really cute to see Data create like a home for himself in his quarters. We we always make our house a home by like putting little trinkets around that have good memories attached and like f- framed photos and all that kind of crap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think it's so darling that Data also does that like look at him being a little human mm-hmm. i just thought that was so cute <laughs> even though i was like yeah that hat would never last never mind you know what never mind uh, whatever it's fine. so many questions about this hat <laughs> now like how did you get that hat off the holodeck that's the question how did for you today. even know that hat existed on the holodeck I know, that was, he that also was a, did not walk a into the program image of you yeah he never even saw the holographic no, data okay whatever jordy riker troy. and troy saw it yeah that's it so just so many questions around that, but whatever. Um, and then Jordy kind of mentions jokingly that he's like, Spot's not the one that need that needs training. Like Data's training is coming along just fine because he does everything that that Spot demands. Um, so you know, Jordy's continuing to like one up his pen pal, and I just love seeing Jordy like giggling w- with glee at like beating his buddy by like 0.01 percent efficiency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. Like this is adorable. Um, okay, so at this point, the Enterprise arrives at the Fleming's last known coordinates, and this really large debris field indicates that the Fleming has been destroyed. And as they're sort of picking through the debris, sensors are like, look out, we're about to be hit by a big Verderon field, which we know is what, like, knocked out the Daemon ship. Mm-hmm. So Picard's like, oh, you know, full stop, back up, back up. And it's just full reverse and you. Yeah, okay, totally. Well, we tried. That pulse is quick. That pulse that, is quick. It and really also, is. And also, you know, it's space. So if you backed up, it would hit you eventually. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get how this works, but okay. Can you hide <laughs> around the corner behind some sort of moon or something? Yeah, uh, yeah. jump behind a planet or, or something because <laughs> something's got to like absorb the wave coming at you unless, because like with waves and dissipation of energy, that all makes sense on a planet like Earth because of an air atmosphere. resistance, wind yeah. resistance, yes, the atmosphere, or if it's in water, the water's the medium. There's something to absorb the energy as it passes. So that way, if you're further away from an explosion, for example, you're not going to feel the shock waves as if mm-hmm. you're right next to the explosion. But in space, there's none of that. So mm-hmm. a wave could in theoretically just go on forever and ever. Um, yeah. But that's not how it works in Star Trek. So they could have just <laughs> backed up out of the way, uh, but they weren't fast enough. So all <laughs> of their systems are down. And then I was like, I wonder if that Ferengi ship is... <laughs> prepared where's where did that ship go is it still in the corner right they're like ha ha right (laughs) so now the enterprise is down no propulsion no communication they're fucked right yeah so an identified ship ends up rendezvousing with them there are two life 
forms a board. And next thing we hear is like, Captain, we're being boarded. And we get these two aliens with very ruffly outfits beam on mm-hmm. to main engineering. And Jordy is like, uh, intruders are here in main engineering. What do you guys want? And the alien said, to make you listen, you're killing us. And it's like, uh-oh, that's bum, a bum, great bum, bum, bum. That's a great place for a bum, bum, bum. Totally. So Picard being Picard, of course, sits down to hear them out. They're siblings. They're scientists. And they have measured large gravitational shifts throughout their system. And if something isn't done, their planet will become uninhabitable. And those gravitational shifts are due to consistent warp travel um, in specific areas. It's sort of wearing the fabric of space thin Mm -hmm. and like subspace is going to bleed into regular space and it's going to, you're going to cause a rift. It's going to be a whole thing, right? So Picard's like, why don't you make a request to the Starfleet Science Department? And the aliens are like, that would take way too long for them to dispatch a ship. We need help now. And we figured if we disabled enough ships, Starfleet would come and then we can plea our case. Um, And so Picard's like, okay, look, we can talk about this, but like, I expect you to deactivate all your probes. And if you do not, we're throwing your asses in the brig and sending you to a star base and you have to answer for what you've done. And also restore power to my ship. And also what happened to the Fleming? Yeah. (laughs) Like there's some demands here, but he's like, but I will hear you out because of the seriousness of your claims. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's Picard being Picard. It's such a perfect response where it's like yes we don't negotiate with terrorists so you have to fix all of that undo everything mm-hmm. you've done and i will listen to you because what you're talking about is ve- is too serious to ignore totally too serious to ignore um so sarova the sister and rabal the brother agree um although sarova is more she protests more but he's like i promise to re-examine your data and I will have data look over your data as well because mm-hmm. he, can, he can do he can, it really fast. He could do it really fast, right? So warp damage, you know, warp drive is damaging the fabric of space and it's going to cause this instability that's going to cause a rift. And they believe that the damage caused by warp engines is cumulative. So each starship that passes through to that corridor at warp brings them one step closer to like destruction. Uh, because what data di- said was like it, like what you're saying is correct, but it would take an engine that's like a thousand times more powerful than like the most powerful engine we have to create a rift. And that's when Rabal is like, that's true if it's a one-time thing, but this seems to be a cumulative effect. So years of like low level warp travel is, mm-hmm. is creating this like damage, you know? Um, so data tells Picard, like send, you know, send a star fleet request to send a scientific vessel to explore the possibility. And Sarova is like, that's all you can do. More time, more delays. But like, but honestly, I, like, I understand she's desperate, but like, what do you think is going to happen? What do you yeah. honestly expect is going to happen? Like, oh my gosh, this data is scary. Everybody stop warp drive right now. Like it's, that's not. Realistic. Right. That's not how it works. And data's, data's conclusion was, because Picard was like, what do you, what's the conclusion? Is this research accurate or not? Like, will, is this true or not? Yeah. And Data's response is, it's inconclusive, right? Mm -hmm. We just don't have enough information to say one way or the other if this is true. And that's when Picard says, well, we'll dispatch a science vessel to, like, you know, look into this further. And I just wondered, like, why don't they run a simulation? Like, why don't they? Isn't that what all these fancy computers are for? Like, that's the point of them. So just be like, computer, run a simulation with all these parameters we've put in. What will happen in this area of space? go and later on Rabal does show 
does show a projection of what they think will happen with the space tears and stuff like that based on their their theories or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you can have the computer just just figure it out. Just crunch the numbers, run a simulation into like a thousand years from now with mm-hmm. warp travel increasing at the speed that you think it would with more populations, et cetera. Like you can put in all the information. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like I don't understand why we're skipping that step. This is what I would do in this situation. But they do. They skip the step. And and Sarova's just like, I just, I need answers and I need answers now and da-da-da. And you're like, yeah, you're right. This is not how science works. And I get that it's a really important thing. Yeah. And if you can't, if you, as a scientist, if it's not like repeatable, demonstrable, like if it's not something that someone else can test and get the same results, mm-hmm. then it just stays a guess or a wish. But yeah. if you have yeah. some clear evidence, now people can do something with that. And she's just not having it. She wants everybody yeah. to listen to her absolutely right now. And Robal goes on to explain that it's because she's such an incredible genius. And it's so hard to understand what she's saying. And it took four years for him to just comprehend the slightest amount of genius falling from her lips. And I was like, okay, but again, we have data. So data can understand yeah. all of her pr- prolific genius in like a second. All of it in a second. Yeah, yeah. So we don't need to know her for four years to understand her genius. Data can understand it. And he's said, after looking through everything, it's still inconclusive. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm I'm good with not believing that your sister is like so far beyond comprehension. Like it's comprehensible. We just need more data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we totally need more data. And I understand that the situation is very dire and she's trying to save her people and she's trying to save her planet. So I understand the pressure that she feels. Yeah, the and urgency. I very much, yeah, I understand. Exactly. Thank you. I really understand her urgency in this, but this is not how it works in the real world. Now, while this is happening, Riker ends up coming to Picard. They found the Fleming. She's intact with all systems down, which makes me wonder, like, what was that debris field we saw then? But well, that was that debris. I don't know what the debris field was composed of, but the debris, the the probe or whatever that Mm -hmm. disabled the Enterprise was put in that debris field on purpose. So there was a bunch of booby traps throughout the corridor, just Mm -hmm. like that, sandwiched in debris fields, putting off these false, um, like, transponder signals of Starfleet vessels that are down. Because that's what the Ferengi ship, the Ferengi Damon had said earlier. Like, oh, we heard this, you know, we thought there was a a Starfleet signal saying the ship was down. We went over there and boom, our ship was disabled. So I don't know where the, the debris came from, if it was there already, or if these siblings put it there. But they took advantage of little pockets of debris Mm -hmm, within the mm -hmm. corridor to disable a ton of ships. So that makes a little bit more sense because I was like, oh, we found the Fleming. It's destroyed. R.I.P. Fleming. Like, that's yes, that's it. (laughs) But it's like, well, no, turns out it's still intact. So God knows what that debris field was. But, yeah, that was a booby trap, I guess. And that's a very good point. Um, So they head out to the Fleming. But as they're heading out to the Fleming, the little Hakaran ship that. They, you know, that had the brother and sister suddenly starts moving off. But Rabal is on the bridge. So it's only Sarova. And he's not sure what she's doing. So he hails her and Sarova is desperate and makes a desperate move. She ends up overloading the ship's engines and creates a warp breach that destroys the ship and her. And the Tetrion flux in the area starts increasing rapidly. And this rift ends up forming which is so pretty. It's like Mm -hmm. this purple, cloudy, swirly nebula. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's like some space cotton candy. It totally does. And it looks very much like something we've seen in like seasons two or three, where Mm -hmm. like they're stuck in a rift and there's no way out and all that stuff. And I was like, ooh, this is super pretty. So 
shit. Now Sarova has played her hand and it's a very deadly game that she's just played because she was desperate to prove her point, which she proved. But now it's like, fuck, the Fleming is intact, but it's inside this rift. And a high energy distortion is like rocking the ship around and the waves are more intense than the rift. So the Fleming shields can only survive for 12 hours. So now right. we've got to count down. And it's getting sucked into the rift. So here's a couple yeah. here's a couple issues I have with this entire train of thought. Um, Saroba could have remotely controlled that ship. Yeah, she didn't have to die. There's absolutely no reason. There's absolutely no reason for her to die. She could have remote controlled that ship out into any area of the corridor, in theory, and blown it to heaven, high heavens, and then seen, oh, look, a rift just opened. So she could have done that. Told you so. And she could have proved her theories. Also, she could have done it in the opposite direction instead of right next to the Fleming. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, just 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 seemed not well thought out for these geniuses. Well, desperate times, I guess. <laughs> she really wasn't thinking it through. I mean, like, I don't know. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, she could have just, re- there was no reason for her to die. Yeah. And if she was going to blow herself up. No, none at all. There, there was, was no, no reason. reason. There was no reason at all. And then it would have been better for her to stay alive, having blown up the ship out in mm-hmm. space, because mm-hmm. she could have continued the research. Granted, she'd be in the brig continuing it, but she could continue her research from any penal constant, you know, constellation anywhere. Yeah. And um, this just was really short sighted. And then for it to happen to blow up right next to the Fleming when she knew the Fleming was there just felt kind of like an extra really? little screw you. Like you could have just done it a little bit to the left or a little bit to the I don't know. So anyways, the now the Fleming's trapped. And so now we have a clock and now we have stakes, I guess. And yeah, now we, we have stakes. We've proven that the theory is true. And we also need to save this ship, but the Enterprise can't just go over there and pick them up because mm-hmm. they can't use warp drive because warp drive will make everything worse. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we get in there and get the people or get the ship without being able to actually move really fast? So yeah. now we've got this big conundrum. Yeah. And data suggests that we coast into the rift. What if we do a brief high intensity warp pulse for like just a just a moment and then use that momentum to coast through the rift without using more warp power which i was like you know what i love the solution because it feels real like you don't have to be data to come up with something like this mm-hmm. this isn't like if we reverse the polarity and then jump start the whatever right mm-hmm. this is just like it's like it's like surfing or riding a bike or skateboarding like you get some downhill momentum and then you just coast like mm-hmm. you don't put any more power and you just coast through so as they get to work on the plan, Jordy is kind of kicking himself for missing the information, um, for missing the formation of the rift by warp fields. Like, how did I miss this? I'm like supposed to be this like brilliant engineer, right? But it's like, really, Jordy, like you've been you have been in all sorts of pickles with the Enterprise, trying to survive as best you guys can, like with each conundrum that you meet every week. There really isn't a whole lot of time for like some deep reading on like warp propulsion damage to the fabric of space. You know what I mean? Especially because Sarova's research was still inconclusive. So how would you have known this? Well, he's kind of kidding himself. And Data says much the same thing. Data says we and even with everything Jordy's saying of like, how could I miss it and all of this stuff? Or how could we miss it? It's like, well, but now you have Data. Like, how did Data miss it? He did mm-hmm. it. And Data explains, we. she was using theories that are, like, so off the wall, and she was using these leaps of logic that had no data substantiating them. Mm-hmm. So there was no, no way we could have followed that path without just being like, well, let's just believe her. Like, there's yeah. no way to follow that path. Um, 
So like, you shouldn't feel so hard on yourself because following everything, doing everything the way we did it did not lead us directly to her conclusions, even though she turned out to be correct. So anyways, Jordy is just feeling really, really lousy and he's feeling really guilty and he's feeling really sad that she died. So he goes to 10 forward and kind of, and sits with Rabal and, um, you know, it was interesting when he first walked into 10 forward, I thought Guinan was going to be there. And I was like, oh, he's going to have a heart to heart and Guinan's going to like talk him through it or whatever. But no, she wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was a little sad, but he yeah. did go, he, he, wouldn't that have been a perfect time this for her to like. This would have been the perfect place for her to be. Yeah. 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 And for Rabal too. Yeah. Right. Because Jordy goes to 10 forward for some, that, some, some of that contemplation he needs and he finds Rabal grieving the loss of his sister. And it's like, yeah. She would have been wonderful for Rabal and for Jordy mm-hmm. to be that like listening ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, but she wasn't there. So Jordy and Rabal just kind of sit and and reminisce and chat. And Jordy is like, you know, I've, I'm an engineer. I've been spending my whole life making sure that ships run. And now you're saying that now it's obvious that warp travel can destroy space. Mm-hmm. And I don't under I don't know where to go from here. Like I don't know yeah. how to travel differently or or what changes we can make. And Robal is just like there are no easy changes. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, yeah. but it's necessary yeah. because once, you know, my goal is for everybody to stop warp travel in the whole, you know, at least our whole planet and eventually yeah. like, you know, and definitely the whole corridor um and probably the whole universe, star system, yeah, mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. Yeah, like it's you know, Jordy says something that says, this is the tragedy of the commons 101. He's like, I've been in Starfleet a long time. We depend on warp drive. I just don't know how easy it's going to be to change. And her boss says it won't be easy at all. And that's exactly what it is. And I've taught AP environmental history for uh, a number of years. And it's very much the concept of the tragedy of the commons. We know if we take it out of Star, you know, Star Trek and we put it into what we're facing today with global climate change. Yeah, we need to stop producing plastics that go into the ocean and pollute the environment. We need to stop burning fossil fuels because that excess emission is heating up our atmosphere. We need to stop doing a lot of things. We know every time we drive our car anywhere, we know we're adding to the problem. But the way that our lives are set up makes it kind of impossible to not have cars or not use like fossil fuels for stuff, right? Like, there mm-hmm. are newer options like cleaner, like hydrogen power and stuff like that, but we're not there yet on a global scale. We're still very much in the dinosaur age, if you'll forgive my pun, because we are burning fossil fuels. But like, you know, I guess I could do a 45 minute walk to the grocery store, but why would I do that right now? Like I can just drive there real quick and come back and go on with my day. I know it's adding to the problem and there isn't enough impetus to change that, if that makes sense. So it's very it does. true. It does. It's and this very, is what, very difficult. This is what frustrates me a lot about some of the teaching in environmental science and about this episode in its entirety, is that there's a lot of, hey, everybody, there's a problem. There's a big problem. There's a really big problem. The end. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no suggestion of solution. And I understand that there's no easy solution. But I would have loved to see this episode star a young scientist who finds a unique technology that could help solve the problem someday and Mm -hmm. it's in its infancy and it won't do much now and maybe it won't even be enough to save this planet but if we keep doing this and expand it and something 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 like i would love to see basically i would love to see this episode inspire a generation to create solutions solutions as opposed to terrifying a generation about a huge problem with no solutions which is what i feel like a lot of climate change 
global, Mm -hmm. you know, climate change um, kind of documentaries and and storylines and like as far as like using you know mass media that's what I feel like it does it it's very like scary but it's not Mm -hmm. very solution oriented and the challenge is that like a beautiful thing that Star Trek has done is it has inspired generations and generations and generations of scientists so many people have gone to the space program because of this show so Mm -hmm. many people have gone into engineering because of this show like it has inspired people to create whole new technologies I mean our cell phones our computers like totally redesign the way that humans live on this earth because of a show like this. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to take on a really serious topic and to be able to inspire people to be creative and come up with those creative solutions, I think is like right in the ballpark of this kind mm-hmm. of show. And I feel like this episode fell flat for me. For me, at the end of the day, it was just like, yeah, warp travel is the devil and you guys shouldn't do warp travel, period. And you're like, okay, well, there's no other, there's no other solution or there's yeah. no other because that's not going to happen. So, I mean, similar with the earth being like, okay, everybody stop driving cars. Okay. People are going to keep driving cars. Like we got to find enough. So that's why I appreciate like, come up with an electric car, come up with something else where it's like has some, even the tiniest chance of Mm -hmm. actually helping in some way. And yeah, yeah, so this, this episode just didn't for me. It just was a lot of like, there's a, and the other thing I really don't like about this episode is how Soroba was seen as such a crazy person. And I know that was the case back in the 90s. It was like anybody talking about climate change was like crazy people. Um, yeah, like a alarmist. Yeah, what are they talking about? They're crazy. Like, that's not true. And then it's like, oh, it is true. I I would have loved to see it, see her not be a crazy person who has to like prove herself through dying in this horrible explosion. I would have loved to see it be like, yeah, you know, even if they said, oh, she's a little eccentric, but for it to be like, oh yeah, no, this is a real thing. Like, this should be taken seriously by by all scientists, not just like, either crazy people or people who are such geniuses, no one could possibly understand them. I don't know. This just made this whole topic feel really inaccessible to me. I totally, Anyways. I mean, I totally agree because usually Star Trek is there to inspire new ideas, new changes, whatever. I get what Sarova was doing because she was desperate and felt like nobody was listening to her. Why she had to actually be on the ship itself when it blew up is beyond me. Um, but yeah, no, I get it. Like this one doesn't come up with any possible solutions and as you and i know as scientists even even the first step of a solution while it might be clunky it may not be ideal mm-hmm. it's the it's a starting point for everything else upon mm-hmm. which you can build right yeah. so it's like okay i actually i worked uh when i lived in hawaii i worked at a biodiesel research facility where it was an algae farm which we farmed algae and then we would dehydrate dehydrate the algae and extract the oils and then turn that oil into a biodiesel. And it was a very clunky system, but it was the first of its type that was making biodiesel. Mm -hmm. So it ended up being, you know, when you take all the costs into account, it ended up being like 50 bucks a liter or something for that biodiesel. So it was like, not, not really it's not scalable and practical yes at it's that not scalable rate. And practical but however it did inspire like further works which continue to streamline it right like think about mm-hmm. the first cd player big and clunky and expensive and now cd players i mean they're obsolete but like you can get them at the fucking dollar store now so mm-hmm. it's you know you streamline the process but yeah you're right like this one didn't really give any solutions so here we are on the enterprise data has done the warp pulse calculations. They'll fire maximum power for 6.3 seconds before shutting down. So they're like, okay, let's power up. Let's shoot our shot while they're doing this. Now off they go 6.3 seconds of warp and then they shut it down, but crap 
sensors detect that the Fleming is attempting to fire up its warp engines inside the rift, but they don't have communication, so they can't tell them to, like, not do that. So if it does get its warp engines up and running, the warp residue will make the rift grow, and they've calculated their momentum exactly to the specifications of the rift as it currently stands. And if that get rift gets any bigger, they won't have enough power to get out. They will now not have enough momentum to get out. And shit, the Fleming did it. Mm-hmm. The rift has increased by 2.3%, and now we no longer have enough power to escape the rift. So now we're all stuck. And this is when Picard does what he does best. He's like, options! <laughs> yeah, okay, so another thing about this scene. <laughs> uh, I we don't. Like I know what your final thoughts are going to be, okay? They're not going to be super positive. <laughs> they are not. Um, <laughs> so, like, we couldn't put a little buffer? We wanted to make sure that this little rubber band idea left us like three inches outside the rift. We wouldn't, mm-hmm. we didn't want to make it go a little bit further. Like a mile out? Yeah, two miles. I mean, it's a starship. Just give it some space. So mm-hmm. that was the first thing. It was like, well, okay, well, whatever. And then the second thing is- Like, couldn't you just like back up a little bit and take like a bigger running start? At any, or just instead of warping at five, they could have warped at six or seven for the, mm-hmm. you know, two seconds or whatever. And it would just given them a little more- I think they the did- thing. What they said was maximum warp burst. So it probably was like 9.9 for 6.3 seconds or something like that. I yeah. don't know. So then, yeah, back up and do it for 6.7 seconds. Yeah. That'll something. leave them a whole a whole light year on the other side. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is, th- this is their plan. They're going to coast through the rift past the Fleming. And they're going to, because we're assuming everyone's shields are down. They're going to beam the entire complement of the Fleming onto the Enterprise as mm-hmm. they pass you know, through the rift. So they're going to have seconds to to bring everybody over. And I think mm-hmm. there was like 450 people on the ship and they're going to beam them all over in like 1.2 seconds. Mm-hmm. Where was this ability when they were on the planet where Data was trapped with lore? Where Thank was this you. ability all the other times when they had to beam out more than three people at a time? Yep. yep. Granted, I know I we have like 27 transporter rooms, but for some reason we have to do 17 passes through a planet to pick up our whole away team. Mm-hmm. And here we're just going to, coast by in 53 seconds or less and pick up 450 people in a pass i just felt like enterprise y'all be messing around too much <laughs> I, you bring your c game too often <laughs> to be the flagship like you just you just don't operate at peak efficiency as often as you, you really to. don't i mean look at their security team i mean that, if that's any indication that we need we maybe need a couple of days of professional development let's all take everybody to rise take a week oh, off man. Rest, relax, get laid, have some Coco Nonos in the sun. And then when we come back, it's training time. Okay. Like we're going to reassess all of our systems because you're right. Top to bottom. Because you're telling me you've had this ability the entire time, the entire seven (laughs) seasons. All right, whatever. So now, so now, you know, whole stress is nearing maximum. Picard's like options. Oh, they've got the people, by the way. All the people are now on the enterprise. Took like a second. They're like, okay, the last three people are coming aboard. Okay, and but the now they're got stuck. Em. They're stuck in the like fringes of the rift and being yeah. pulled back because they can't quite make it out. Yeah, so they haven't enough momentum to get all the way clear. So the distortion waves are happening every fifty nine seconds. And then Jordy says this line that doesn't belong anywhere near Star Trek <laughs> ever. When was the last time you went surfing, Commander? I was like, man. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm going to tell you. For Andrea, it was this morning. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yes. When was the last time I went surfing was like two hours ago. And it was wonderful. But don't 
even act like this is the second time in TNG that they've mentioned surfing. And I'm like, really? Is this still a thing? But in space, like, I don't know. Okay, whatever. But they're in like, the oh, holodeck? the distortion wave. Yeah. OK, cool. in the holodeck, I could see that. Now, the distortion wave is the answer. They're like, OK, we're going to try to ride that distortion wave out. This may be our only way. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So they try riding one wave, but they missed catching it, which happens because when you're trying to, I will speak as a surfer, when you're trying to catch a wave, you can't just be sitting still or barely moving when the wave passes. You've got to be paddling to like pick up speed so that your speed is nearly matching the wave speed so that you can just get picked up and go right along. Right. So it's like they try to catch the wave. They didn't have enough speed. So they're like, okay, now whole stress is 120% above tolerance. So a whole breach is fucking imminent. Like things are getting real scary. I, I will say, as far as the enterprise, you know, always bringing it C game, I will say in this one respect, it's so impressive that the whole stress is over 120% above tolerance. Yep. Yep. And that hole is A okay. Like, yep. yeah, it's about to breach any second, but it could take 20% more stress than 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Above max. That's a huge, yeah, that's a huge percentage. What has that kind of like, you know, error margins? Nothing. No. So, no. Okay. So the people who design the ship at Utopia Planitia, you guys get a a good good round of applause. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, that was pretty amazing. Like that, I didn't know. That was like 120. What the? Yeah, those tolerance margins. Could you imagine if I was coming to pick you up so we could like go have lunch and I'll be like, I'll be there at two o'clock, give or take a month. Like what? Those are some (laughs) very big margins. That's kind of the size of that margin, because if we're really talking whole stress and we're really talking like civil mechanical engineering, structural engineering, uh. 20% 20% above full maximum. That's ridiculous. Like if anything. And is it maximum where things would get crushed? Isn't yeah, that why it's called yes. maximum? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anything, maybe if the enterprise is having like a really fucking good day, it could take like 101%, maybe like 100.2 or something, but 120. Yeah. That was amazing. Well, because they reinforced the ship with, um, unobtainium so it's just absolutely (laughs) a banger so they end up catching the wave and i was half expecting like some surf music to show up which i was like yeah i was like ah don't do it no 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 sit down freaky belly sit down we're not doing that we're not having the enterprise beach party at malibu or whatever we're not doing that (laughs) that actually sounds so fun if I saw that in the episode, I might be like, okay, well, it's not that All bad. of a sudden, it sounds like something TOS would do where all of a sudden, like, <laughs> Captain Kirk's got, like, a flower lay on, too, which, like, he doesn't even know where it came from, but there it is. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, so they, <laughs> so they end up clearing the rift at the last possible, possible second. So, hooray! Hell of a rescue run. So now we've got time to cool down. And Picard says the Federation Council is re-examining the warp energy work. It seems like what they've seen here will have repercussions for many years to come. And Rabal ends up showing them that projection of what local space would look like in like 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. And it's going to look bad. It reminded me of Timescape where they show like the time bubbles everywhere. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. shit. So my question was, why didn't you show this earlier? Why are we showing it now? Y'all no had time. this projection all along. This should have been well, one because, of the first things you showed when you were showing them all your dumbass. data. The, that sister was like, you don't want to hear my data? Fine. I'm going into my ship and I'm going to blow it up and make a point. And that's so, going to show you. Yeah, you caused some troubles, girl. Now, the Science Council advises that any area of space susceptible to warp fields will be restricted to essential travel only and all Federation vessels will be restricted to warp five. 
unless in case of extreme emergency. Um, so basically and- nothing. They are going to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's well, how I, I interpreted mean, that because work five, I was like, okay, that's still something. Well, I'm like, work than- five out of nine. Like, if you know this space yeah. is unstable and you could just bust open a rift on your left or right at any moment, yeah, that yeah. sounds extremely dangerous. Yeah, maybe in so I would say only. Yeah, well, what I wrote was just go around. It's space. Yeah. Just don't do this corridor in this whole area. Just go Goes around it. in three dimensions. Yes, and I know go it's going it. go above, below it, go at an angle, you know, around it. And I know it's going to take longer because that was the whole point is the corridor, you know, cut some time. But again, time, you know, you guys are making your own deadlines. So if somebody's getting from this side of the rift or from this side of the corridor to the other side of the corridor and they're going around, hey, everybody, it's going to take longer. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all you have to do. Unless there's some sort of like medical crisis, there's really no other reason to be doing all that. And Picard does say like all this while I was damaging the thing that i hold most dear and i was like oh and then that's like where the episode ends so robal mm -hmm. does mention you know we're already starting to feel the effects of climate change on our planet from this rift that my sister opened so i know she was making a point but she also made it much worse like you know way worse and so picard's like well the federation has set up a weather control matrix on the planet so they have some technology on the planet that's going to mitigate the effects of of climate change which is really, really cool. And so he's like, well, that'll be kind of like a stopgap measure in the meantime until there's some more permanent solution. To which I say, all right, everybody, start packing your bags because nobody's mm-hmm. changing anything. Everyone's going to keep going to this corridor. They're keep going to keep going warp five. 40 years from now, this whole thing is going to be one big black hole. Mm-hmm. So let's just find another planet. Like we don't so need to wait. And just clear out. We don't need to wait the 40 years to be like, oh no, our planet's being swallowed. Like we yeah. already knew this was coming 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's get let's on, just out get of on here. it. Yep. Yeah. So, right now. So, yeah, at the end, he makes that whole statement. And Jordy says, well, we still have time to make it better. And I put cue um, eye roll because I'm just like, like, I don't think it was bad that he said that because it does fit with the whole it fit perfectly in the whole episode and mm-hmm. the, and everything and they were talking about. And it's about. a little and it's a little like nod to the audience to be like, there's still time to make global climate change better. Yes. In what way? Because no one has said that. So yeah. it's just like, hey, yeah. people, there's still time to make a difference. And we have have no solution whatsoever on how to make this <laughs> different. Why even say it? Why yeah. even say it? Like, it feels as useless as that edict from the Federation saying, okay, we'll just go slower. Like, it feels just as useless of like, well, what mm-hmm. was the point of all of this? What was all of that anyway? You're just letting us know there was a problem in case we didn't know. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. that. Well, I mean... I understand why they went that way because they don't have answers, but it is important to point out when there is a problem where they're like, Hey, we've got a problem here. Now what the solution is, is anyone's guess because we don't have the solution, but we are letting as many people possible know about this so that we can kind of group think our way to a solution. But I do understand to have that. I would have liked just a group think would have been great. Or, or even, even just at this, in this last conclusion part where he's like, Oh, I got this letter from the Federation. Oh, turns out they're not going to do anything. Like I would have liked that part to be like, okay, well, you know, here's what they're going to do. They're going to reduce it to to warp five and only mm-hmm. essential personnel can go through it, which is going to slow the growth, but not change it. But they're mm-hmm. also convening, you know, this federation of scientists and this group of whatever. And this has become like one of the top priorities, not just this, because other areas of space have the same issue. Yeah. And they're going to be establishing like 
you know, a star base nearby that's going to be devoted to coming up with a solution. Like, even if they would have just said that, I would have been like, oh, wow, cool. Like everybody like banded together or they like, you know, we don't have a solution, but we're bringing people yeah. together to find a solution or we're that would have been great. That would have been like, oh, cool. Like, you know, if we come together, like we could probably figure something out. We're going to support Robal. We're going to get his mm-hmm. sister's research. We're going to do something. But there was a very, a very palpable feeling of we're there's, we're not going to do anything, but somebody should do something. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that statement is, or that sentiment is something that it's like one of my hot buttons yeah. when, um, so for example, whenever I see like a car accident almost all the time, except for like one time. And I still feel guilty about this, but almost every time when I see an accident on the side of the road or in the middle street or whatever, like I'll get out make sure everyone's okay. I'll call 911. Mm-hmm. Or if I see it in the distance, like I'll call 911 and get mm-hmm. them the cross streets and, you know, I'll just, I'll just make sure everything's okay. And, and what drives me crazy is the people who will stand around an accident, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. calling 911, not seeing if anyone's okay and saying, and saying somebody should do something. Someone should call 911. And it's like, at the time you took to say someone should call 911, you should have you already yourself done could have called 911. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of feel that in this situation that it's kind of like someone should do something, but there's still time. It just felt very much like no one's going to call 911 and those people yeah. are going to be there on the corner um, yeah. bleeding out. Yeah, totally. So anyways, but I do think even though I hate morals of the story, I do think Jordy's saying that at the end perfectly fit with the vibe of this whole episode yeah yeah no I I I totally get that so are those your final thoughts or do you have further final thoughts no I hated this one so (laughs) I I, I've gone on and on about my final yeah I hated this one (laughs) I will not be watching it again (laughs) see I thought it was an okay episode all around but I did think that the pacing of the first half was very very slow like the second half like executed better because they're like crap now we have a rift now the Fleming is in there there's some stakes options warp slingshot shit the Fleming like fired up its warp engine so now the rift is bigger what the fuck do we do we space surf like it had some you know it had Mm -hmm. a much better pacing but the first half god damn it it was slow I was just like do we need the spot thing I guess it's just a filler it was kind of it was absolutely a filler because they needed all the buildup with the sister before they could get to the rift right so they needed to build the story up but they didn't have anything exciting to put in the middle spaces not a goddamn thing and they didn't want to put a a a b plot i'm guessing they didn't want to put a b plot that competed with the a plots like moral imperative so they went with something really lighthearted and silly so that Mm -hmm. it wasn't distracting from the bigger point yes so in the end i just you know it just Mm-mm. it didn't it didn't go not a thing not <laughs> a thing just, it was like data's dream sequence it was just a waste guess what things do get better because next week we are breaking down season seven episode 10 inheritance which will be a lot of fun guys thank you so much for nerding out with us have a fantastic week and we'll see you next week bye thanks for geeking out with us be sure to join the crew at the tngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.